At this time, I want to go ahead and encourage you, if you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to go ahead and invite Irene Hoyer up. She's going to be reading for us out of our text of Scripture this morning. And if you're able, would you please stand with me out of respect for His Word? Um, We do this because of the importance of God's Word. Um, You're not here this morning to hear my words or Irene's words or anybody else's words. We're here to hear the Lord's words. And so uh, we want to acknowledge it for what it is. So Irene, I'll pass it off to you, sister. Good morning, church. Isaiah 43 to 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Church, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Irene. All right, so last week we started this short sermon series called Prepare the Way of the Lord. And the whole idea behind this series is uh, for us to be reminded that, that we need to have our hearts prepared uh, for the Lord's coming. And so we see this as God prepared the people of Israel through prophecies in Isaiah, as he prepared the way of Jesus by sending John, who was the one who was baptizing the people of Israel in the wilderness right before Jesus came. And we talked last week about the need for us to recognize the circumstances in which we live in, how oftentimes God uses those circumstances to help our eyes see him so that his glory might be revealed. We talked about our own homes, right? Like, like are, are they a place where the glory of Christ could rest? Were we confident in that? We talked about our own hearts. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. But I think as we do that, and as we continue on in this time, it's really, really important for us to recognize that oftentimes the things that might become obstacles or blind spots for us to keep us from seeing the glory of Jesus are often things that we don't even realize are there, right? Like they're, they're things that we don't recognize in our own lives. That's why we need the Word of God to help reveal them to us. And so that's why we come to this moment. As I was thinking about this, I remember during the pandemic or COVID crisis or whatever we want to call it this day these days, but I remember during the pandemic really early on reading an article uh, of a village in India. And if you remember uh, just real quickly, in India, their lockdowns were way more severe than ours. Like it was serious. Like you couldn't leave your house in India. Like you were stuck there. You were only allowed one person in each household that could get out at certain times of the day to be able to go get food. Like it was a serious lockdown. And I remember reading this article about a village that was just a few miles away from the Himalayan mountains, which if you know, the Himalayan mountains are the tallest, most majestic mountain range in all of the world. That's the home of Mount Everest. Like it's a massive mountain range. What was crazy was one day shortly after the lockdown started, these people woke up and went outside and saw the Himalayan mountain range for the first time in 30 years. Can you imagine that? Like there were people in the village that had no idea that they lived that close to one of the most majestic mountain ranges in all the world because of all the smog. And so what happened was because of all the smog and all the pollution, like it, it, it was a barrier between them and the majesty of the mountains. They had no idea it was there. They had no idea that the horizon had those mountains on the end of it. And so they wake up one morning and see this staggering thing. 
And I think this is what we're trying to talk about. This is one of the things that John wants us to see and what God is engaging us in Isaiah chapter 40. Is he's saying like, I want to raise up the valleys and I want to break down the mountains. And we talked about this last week so that you can see, so you can clearly engage and acknowledge and recognize the glory of God. Now, John the Baptist, he saw, I think, some of this same blindness, the same smog that was keeping the people from seeing the glory of God and what he knew to be the glory of God revealed in Jesus. And so he began to preach repentance and sin and uh, that they should be a set-apart people. And we find out early on in the Gospels that some of the religious leaders of the day were coming out to John. And we don't know their motivations and we don't know their hearts, but we do know how John responded to them. So here's what he says. Matthew chapter 3, you brood of vipers, welcome to church. Are you glad I didn't enter that way? Like, welcome to Central Christian Church, you brood of vipers. No, this is John. So you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So here's the thing, what I want to focus on is that John could see that these men had certain obstacles in their way that would keep them from being able to clearly see Jesus and the glory of God revealed in Jesus. There was a certain smog between them and the majesty of Christ. Part of that was a presumption that they were okay simply because of their heritage. Now, when I read this text, as I was thinking through this process, it made me wonder What presumptions and obstacles do we have inside of our lives that are preventing us from seeing the majesty of Christ? Are there obstacles? Are there, is there that smog between us and him? And as we think about that, as we consider these things, some of them we may have never even ever considered before. We may have never even thought before. We may never have seen them in ourselves before. We have to, before we even get into those things, ask a similar question that we did last week, which is, are we really ready to acknowledge them? Are we really ready to see them? That's a big question. Because just like for those people in India, for the smog to drop, they had to sacrifice some things, didn't they? They had to lay some things down. They weren't free to be able to go out where they wanted to because you can't continue to do the same thing and expect something that's different, right? They had to lay something down. And so the question for us this morning is, what if God reveals to you this morning through his word that there might actually be something there that is keeping you from seeing Christ? Will you be willing to lay it down? The Pharisees weren't. Sadly, if you read the Gospels, like the Pharisees never, at least many of them, some did, but the majority of them didn't see the glory of God in Jesus. And so before I get to the rest of our sermon, I want us to pray. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer to just make sure our hearts are ready. So bow your heads with me. Father, we recognize as we come into this moment that there could be things between us and you that are keeping us from seeing the fullness of your glory in Jesus that are keeping us from really living and walking in what you have called us to, what you want us to see. Like, this is your desire, that we see you. Like, you want us to, to see beyond these obstacles. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that in the next few moments that you would examine our hearts, that you would test us and you would try us, 
And Father, if there is any error in us, if there's anything in our lives that is keeping us from seeing you, Lord, would you help us to see it? Would you help our hearts to be soft and willing to lay it down? Because if we're not, none of this makes any difference. and None of it matters. So I pray your spirit upon us. I pray, Lord, your spirit would guide us and lead us and direct us and open our eyes and open our ears to what you would have for us this morning. Father, I pray these things and ask them in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So let's start with the type of obstacle that the Pharisees struggled with, which was presumption. Now, presumption is an assumption that we hold to be true simply by the nature of our opinion. So let me say that again. A presumption is an assumption that we hold to be true simply by the nature of our opinion. So go back to those people in India. They believed that their horizon was flat simply because their experience told them that they had never seen, that, that there weren't mountains there. Like it had nothing to do with what was true. It only had to do with their perception. It only had to do with their, what they could see and the experiences that they had, the opinions that they had. And they thought their opinions were right, didn't they? Don't most of us? You don't have to raise your hand. Someone said yes. I appreciate that, right? Like most of us think our opinions are right. And a presumption is built upon those opinions. They're not necessarily gains or, or gained off of something specific. And sometimes we don't even know we hold them. Sometimes we don't even know we're living in accordance with those presumptions. And so what are the presumptions that we need to be concerned about in our own lives? I think the first one is a presumption of belief, a presumption of knowledge. And what do I mean by this? Well, I think a lot of us know the text of Scripture that we've read multiple times this morning, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Anyone who believes on him. And so here's what can happen to us is we can gain this presumption that as long as we believe certain things that are in the Bible as fact, we will be saved. So, now if you've been at Central for a while, you know that we've pressed against this before, but this is an important thing for us to be mindful of. In essence, it's saying, if you believe that David was a historical figure and that David killed Goliath, that's belief. If you believe in Elijah, that Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and called fire down from heaven to burn up the sacrifice, that's belief. If you believe that Jesus existed and you believe that he died and you believe that he rose from the grave and you believe that he now sits in the throne room of heaven, like those are all things that you can believe and those are all good things for us to believe, But believing the truth about those things isn't what John 3.16 is about. That's not what he's talking about, not specifically. And here's one of the reasons we know. Satan believes all those things to be true. Now, I know that can shock us, right? And I've had this conversation with so many people in the church. It's this kind of eye-opening thing. It's like, well, wait a minute. If Satan knows all things things to be true, then this can't be the kind of belief that we're seeing in John 3.16. James says this. Remember, he says, you believe that God is one. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So you believe that Jesus raised from the dead? Well, you do well, but even the demons believe that. You believe that Solomon existed? Well, you do well, but even the demons believe that. Believing something is a fact is not what John is talking about in John 3.16. Jesus' definition of belief is very different. It is faith. It is trust. A faith and a trust 
that is a daily walk and trust, often requiring dying to ourselves, risking something to follow him. So here's the thing. I can stand up here and I can tell you all that I love to work on cars. Like I love to take engines and I like to pull them apart and change head gaskets out. And I I know about pistons and carburetors and all these different things. And I love to do that with transmissions. And I can tell you, I can show you a picture of my garage and show you all of my tools. And I can show you pictures of cars that I've worked on. And you can be like, oh man, like I believe that Darren knows how to work on a car. Uh, And that's awesome. And you can believe that to be fact. And I can try to prove that to you as a fact. But guess what? It's not faith until you, until you give me your car. And say, here, Darren, tear my car apart, rip it all apart, and, and then put it back together again so I can go and drive. Now, let me just tell you, that would be really misplaced faith because I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> all right? But that's the point, isn't it? This is, here's the thing. Faith is that you believe not just that the person is able to do something, but you actually listen to the person. So faith is saying, okay, um, you tell me to use this kind of gas, but I've always used this kind of gas, but I trust you. I'm going to have faith in you. You use faith every time you go to the doctor. You believe certain things to be true about that person's abilities, that person's knowledge. And so when they prescribe you medication, you don't know anything. You simply take it in faith that they know what it is. That is a big difference. You can believe a lot about a doctor. You can believe a lot about a mechanic, but never trust them for anything. It's risky to trust somebody. It's risky because you've got to give those things to those people. The point is, you can believe that Jesus died and rose and never actually trust him for anything. That's scary. You can believe the facts that Jesus died and rose and never actually trust him for anything. If you presume that you are saved simply because you know some facts about what is in the word of God, it would be important for us to consider if we've ever actually put real faith in him. Have you ever actually seen his majesty? That's an important presumption for us. And I would challenge each of us to that. In our lives. The second potential presumption for us is a presumption of comparison. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that the Pharisees often presumed about their righteousness based on everyone else's righteousness or unrighteousness or lack thereof, right? So they would look at themselves and say, well, look how good we are compared to all those sinners, all those bad people out there. Right? And so there's this comparison component. There's a scale. I'm on this side of the scale, and you're on this side of the scale. I'm going to look at myself, judge uh, based off of you and how moral you are. And here's the reality behind it. The vast majority of us all have some view in our minds of what Christian maturity looks like, don't we? Like we've got some idea of what it looks like to, to kind of work faith out in our lives. And oftentimes, it's more about those traditions and and our personal experiences and feelings than it is about Scripture and what it actually says is true about Christian maturity or what righteousness actually looks like. Here's how we see this and how it plays itself out. A real real Christian, they would never drink alcohol. A real Christian, they would absolutely stand in a Black Lives Matter protest. A real Christian has to be a Republican. A real Christian would never struggle with addiction. Like that, that's something a real Christian would never do. A real Christian would absolutely have to affirm LGBTQ people because that's love and that's what it's supposed to be. 
And see, if you look at this across the spectrum, what happens is we decide what a real Christian is based on comparison. And isn't it fascinating? And there's a whole bunch of different scales out there. And we all have different ones of what we might think to be a mature Christian versus a non-mature Christian. And isn't it fascinating that when we think about that comparison, we always end up on the positive side, don't we? Aren't we always the best in our own eyes? Like we'd never say that we're perfect. None of us would acknowledge that. But how easy is it for us to say, take that alcohol discussion, for example. Well, I never touch alcohol but I saw so-and-so out at Applebee's the other day and they had a beer. Like, they might know Jesus, but they probably aren't as good a Christian as I am. Like, we are always better than everyone else according to our own scales. Like, we build the scale around our own opinions and about what we believe to be true, don't we? And the presumption is, is that, well, I'm good, I must be a believer, I must be saved because I'm here in that scale and everybody else is over here in that scale. Listen, if, if there's any part of you that begins to believe that, let me just tell you, that is an extremely dangerous place to be. There's only one scale and it's the word of God and Jesus. And if you really want to consider whether you're righteousness or whether you're righteous, here's what I would challenge you to do. Look at Jesus and compare yourself to him. And here's all you will find. You are a wretch. You will never be able to win the balance of that scale because you're looking at the holiness of God. You're looking at the righteousness of God. And so if you've got anybody else on that scale besides Jesus, you may have a presumption that you're okay based on something that's not rooted in fact and truth. And there are so many people that walk in this and they don't even realize it. Jesus is the only scale. He is the only comparison. And man, every time I look at Jesus, I end up confessing something. Now listen, that makes me praise him more, doesn't it? Because the more you confess, the more you realize, the more you trust in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, and that is awesome. But nonetheless, the more I look at him, the more wretched I see myself. The third one is a presumption of association. Remember why John the Baptist got onto the Pharisees? Look back again at Matthew, thir- Matthew chapter 3. He says, You brood of vipers, you who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. What were they doing? They believed that because they were tied to Abraham by blood, they were fine. Now, I know none of you are probably doing that, or very few. I don't know if we've got any Messianic Jewish um, folks here or not, but the vast majority of us are not saying, I believe that I'm saved because I'm a a Jew. Like, I I don't think very many of us are doing that. However, I do know for a fact that there are a lot of people who can often presume that they are saved because of the environment they came up in. They have Christian parents, therefore they must be Christian. They're Americans, therefore they must be Christian. They're a part of a certain denomination, therefore they must be Christian. They're a part of a certain theological camp, therefore they must be Christian. I want us to hear the words of Jesus, ones that we, most of us will know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Your upbringing, your pedigree, your school, your church, None of those are the way to the Father. 
none of it matters. None of it can save you. You cannot look at the fact that you grew up in a Christian school, some of you, and think, well, I must be saved because I grew up in that environment. That is absolutely not the case. And parents, I would plead with you as moms and dads of kids not to fall into the trap of presuming that your kids are safe simply because you put them in a Christian school. They may not be. You need to lead them to Jesus, not to a Christian school. That's your job. You need to pursue Jesus and bring them along with you so they get to experience him and know him and see faithfulness in your life. Christian schools are awesome. We love Central Christian Academy here. I tell people all the time, put your kids there. That's awesome. And we want you to put your kids in youth group. Those are amazing things, but they can only help point people to Jesus. They cannot save you, and they will not save you. And I know people that would say, if you ask them on a survey, are you a Christian? And they would put yes, because they grew up in a Christian home or went to a Christian school. Some even, fewer today than you used to be, but some would even say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. Do not trust your soul to a presumption or an opinion that is not based upon truth. The only way salvation comes is by putting your faith in Jesus. Not your family, not your school, not your denomination, not whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminianist, not whether you believe in the spiritual gifts or don't believe in the spiritual gifts. It's only whether or not you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you walk in his grace and his mercy every day. I can be assured that I am saved because I've put my faith in Jesus. That's not a presumption. It is anchored to the very truth and the word of God. That is not an opinion. Jesus says that all who cry out to him and trust in him and and, and put their faith in him will be granted grace and mercy for their sins and they will be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was bought for us on the cross so that we might be reconciled back to God. That is not a presumption. That is the word of God. Anything else will lead you to a very dangerous place and is not true. And so many people miss Jesus because they presume they're okay because of the school they went to or the church they went to. And I hope that's not the case of any in this room, but I've had the conversations. The next category of obstacles that I think can blind us from seeing Jesus are simply our idols. We see this example in the people of Israel all the time. Their story tells us that they oftentimes and ultimately lost sight of the presence of God in the temple because they erected idols in their hearts and in their lives, and they refused to take them down. Here are some particularly threatening idols that I believe that we live in a constant danger of all the time as Americans. The first is an idol of self-sufficiency. Now, I don't mean that you believe in your ability to earn salvation. I mean a very different kind of self-sufficiency. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valley and hills. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses, and you live in them. So just stop. 
When you have eaten and you are full and you've built good houses and you live in them, that's the vast majority of us in this room. And when your herds and flocks multiply, we don't have those, but think of your 403B or your 401K. When that multiplies and your gold and your silver is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That is an idol. And it is extremely dangerous for us to begin to look at the world in which we have created and think, look what I have done. And we've talked about this before, but, but if you begin, even at the, the, the smallest part of your heart, to begin to look at those things and start to find yourself and lift yourself up and build an idol of your own amazingness in your own heart, then it's going to create a smog between you and the majesty of God. And you will have a lot of trouble seeing the glory of him because the glory of God is most often seen by recognizing a complete dependence upon him. You need him. We all need him. This is an idol that we can so quickly get into. There's also the idol of entitlement. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. This is God speaking to the people of Israel, and this is what he says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Now, what are the people of Israel saying in that statement? Like, God doesn't see me. God's not giving me what he should give me. Like, he's not giving me what my right is. Like, he's, he's not giving me the things that I expect. And so you may think of, of Christ, and you may think of, of Christianity and faith, and you might be looking at the Lord and, and, and often going like, he's not giving me what I expect. Like, I have certain rights that I deserve as a Christian, and I'm not getting those rights. And you can begin to shake your fist at God and start saying like, why God wouldn't you give me this? Why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you do this? Instead of recognizing the glory of the most important thing that he has done, which is redeem you. We are not entitled to anything. Not in this world. We are entitled to a whole new earth and a whole new heaven on the other side. We are entitled to all kinds of new bodies and wonderful, uh, like beautiful things for us to imagine, but that entitlement is only given to us by the promises of the Lord. And it's really easy for us to miss what God is doing now and miss the glory of God now because we're too busy going, well, you know what I deserve? You know what I think you should give me? I owed this. This is my right. We all have been there, Right? Because we were all kids at one point. Hey, I need you to take out the trash. <gasps> what? Why? I'm busy, can't you see? I'm playing video games. Like, I don't, I shouldn't have to do that. Like, this isn't what is, like, like what? I didn't get that for Christmas? Like, we all have this in us at some level. And this idol can keep us from seeing the Lord for who he is. Thirdly, is the item of pleasure and comfort. And I know we've talked about this. We talk about it all the time because you know why? We are bombarded by it every second of every day. Desire it, pursue it, consume it, repeat it. Desire it, 
pursue it, consume it, repeat it. Food, sex, approval, stuff, security, popularity, the next style, being on the cutting edge of what your home looks like and all these different things. And I'm not making any of those things in and of themselves evil by themselves. But we live in a world which constantly is telling us, or selling us promises that these things can all bring satisfaction to us and do things in us. And listen, we start to pursue it and we go, ooh, I want that, or I want that, or I want that what can give me. And then you pursue that with your whole life, and then you consume it, and over time, you're left only needing more, aren't you? So you can update everything in your home, and again, listen, we've put in new countertops before. I'm not, I'm not demonizing that. It's just a point for us to be mindful of. Like, you can update your, only ha- your house, and in five years, guess where it's going to be? Out of date. It is. It's the way the world works. And so what happens is is we desire it, then we go get it, we consume it, or we do it, and then what we end up finding ourselves having to do is repeat that process over and over and over and over and over and over again. And listen, if we are doing that, and those things are idols for us, that is going to become a smog between us and the majesty of God. Because, brothers and sisters, there is only one place to find satisfaction. And it's in the presence of God. There's only one well that will never run dry. There's only one spring that will never run dry. And it is the spring of the living God. He is the one who can bring us eternal satisfaction, eternal joy. And it's Jesus. Oftentimes we just can't see it because we're too busy looking at what's in front of us. The rich man in the scriptures you may remember that story, but he, he wanted Jesus. He wanted to, to find eternal life. Like he was coming to, to Jesus to get those answers, wasn't he? Like, like if you looked at somebody who's seeking after God, you'd look at the rich man in that text and be like, he's, he's legit, and he does, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, you need to go sell everything. And he goes away sorrowful. And the point of what Jesus is saying is like, listen, It's not about the fact that you've got money. It's about the fact that your money is your idol. And you're not willing to lay it down. Hebrews challenges us in this way. In Hebrews chapter 11, or chapter 12. Let us also lay aside every weight. So not just bad things, not just sins, but weight. Things that weigh us down. Things that distract us. Things that get in our way. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. That's the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, our sincerity to want to know Jesus doesn't matter if we aren't willing to lose some of our idols. We can know, oh, I sincerely want to go to church to hear from the Lord, But if we were going to hold on to all of our idols, if we were going to hold on to the world in which we live in, we are going to find ourselves not truly coming to Jesus. And we can deceive ourselves. We can justify. And in great term, we can actually inoculate ourselves to the gospel, believing that we have it, when in reality we've never actually put our faith in Jesus. Mark 4 warns us, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, they can enter in and they can choke out the word, and it would prove unfruitful. 
these people in this parable, if you remember it, they accepted the word of God with joy. But they were deceived. And they allowed idols to be erected in their lives that distracted them from the majesty of God. So again, back to our original question. Do you really want to see him? Do you really want to see him? Would you be willing to go to God right now and say, God, is there a smog between me and you? Is there a presumption that I'm living in? Is there an idol that I have erected in my own heart that's keeping me from really following after you, from really knowing you? Like, are you willing to ask that question? If you truly want to see them and you want to know them, God will reveal them to your heart. But with that question also comes, will you then lay them down? Will you then count the cost? Will you, will you say, like, this is an idol and it keeps sneaking up in my life and, I, and I'm struggling with that and I want to lay it down? Because if you just acknowledge that they exist but you don't do anything about it, then you're no different than the Pharisees who were not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, which is what John was calling them to. And so that's my question. And that's how we're going to close our time this morning. We're going to close our time in prayer. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I want to pray for the next couple moments for your spirit to be present with us. Because words are not sufficient to illuminate these things in our lives. Your spirit has to do it. Your Spirit's got to open up our eyes to see these things. Even if we desire to be faithful, Lord, in you, like your Spirit, your voice, your word, are the things that need to help us to see the things that we've put in between you and us. And I want to just pray this morning, right, in the next couple of moments, that, Lord, your Spirit would be present and that your Spirit would speak to us and, Lord, it would press, he would press so heavily upon us that if we have those things in our hearts and our lives, that we would be, we would like, the author of Hebrews says that we'd throw them off this morning. We'd throw them off. I'm going to give you a moment to just, just examine your heart. But before we do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead a prayer. And a lot of times, people, we don't know how to pray. You know, if you're new to the faith, or maybe like this is like, all this is new to you, like, and you, you want this, but you don't know how, I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if your heart is truly open to hearing the Lord, like, I want you to just echo this prayer in your own heart. And then we're going to have a moment of just stillness to let the Lord work on us for a minute. And then we're going to have a moment of response as we sing a song we're going to have prayer counselors and elders up available to just talk with you and pray with you and, and walk through these things with you. Because you don't want to leave this morning with one of these things, that smog between you and the majesty of God. And so if that's your heart, I just ask you to pray this prayer in your heart with me. Father, I ask this morning for you to test me I pray, God, that you would examine my heart. Father, if I have presumed to be yours, 
because of the things I know in my head or because of anything that ultimately does not lead me to salvation. Father, would you please help my eyes to see it? Father, if there's any way in which I have believed in a way that is not in accordance with your word or actual faith, Lord, would you help me to see it this morning? Would you open my eyes to see it? That I might not find myself at the judgment seat going, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and that and only hear away from me, I never knew you. I don't want that. I want to follow you. Father, if there's idols in my life, things that I'm worshiping over you, things that I have put in my, in way in between you and I, Lord, would you test me in that? Would you open my eyes this morning, right now, to see those things? And would you give me the strength by your spirit to lay them down? Because I can't do it on my own. Would you give me the boldness to talk with somebody, the boldness to come and and engage with somebody else to just get prayer? Because I don't want an idol to rob me from seeing your glory. I don't want an idol to keep me from your presence. And so, Lord, I pray these things in a heart that does not know everything, but that wants you. In the name of Jesus, amen.